This is the Frog for Life podcast. I'm your host, Rob Berline. I, I love the fact that TCU is such a social campus, and I also really appreciated the fact that I, I could get involved in as much as I wanted to, and, and I felt like professors and the campus in general uh, en- encouraged that and, and worked around uh, whatever involvement I wanted. That is the voice of Tim Halperin, who graduated from TCU with a degree in marketing from the Neely School of Business in 2010. Tim has become a well-known singer, appearing on American Idol and translating that into a successful career. Tim came to TCU after growing up in Omaha, Nebraska. Even though he grew up so far from campus, it was not that foreign to him due to his brother, who was a student at TCU before Tim. Yeah, growing up in Omaha, it actually became kind of a sexy thing to go to TCU. TCU became sort of a designer label school. You would you would go to major sporting events or concerts, and you would see a lot of high school kids wearing TCU shirts. And my oldest brother, Andy, actually went to TCU, and he graduated in 03. And so while he was there, I had visited him, and I, and I knew I loved the campus. I knew the business school was fantastic fantastic and the community was probably my favorite part but as I was getting close to my senior year I I had thought about doing music business and so I was kind of exploring my options and my brother actually got married right before it was decision time and at his wedding I hung out with all of his TCU friends and um, after that weekend I sort of revisited the schools that I was looking at and I just felt this piece about going to TCU because I had spent the weekend with his friends and realized these are the kind of people that I want to surround myself with. And I feel like TCU had everything going for it that I was looking for in a, in a college and figured if I want to go down the music business path, uh, I think TCU will still set me up for success in that world. All right. And what were some of the things you got involved in as a student? I know you were involved in the Neely School as far as um, academics, but just talk about you know your TCU life. Yeah. So I got very involved right off the bat my freshman year. I I love the fact that TCU is such a social campus. And I also really appreciated the fact that I I could get involved in as much as I wanted to. And and I felt like professors and the campus in general uh, encouraged that and and worked around uh, whatever involvement I wanted to find myself in. And so I I worked in the Office of Admissions uh, as as a freshman and a sophomore. Um, I was involved in Bucks, uh, the Christian fraternity on campus. I was in TCU Ambassadors, so I gave tours around campus, and I was uh, um, luckily accepted into the um, Neely Fellows program, which was brand new at the time, in the business school, and really quite involved. You know, I also did intramurals, and really anything that that I could, um, I I would get plugged in with. I also was um, a frog camp facilitator as well, which I really enjoyed. Things I did not hear was a lot of music stuff. So how, when you said you wanted to come from music business and you're doing all these other things, how did you still find time to develop your music? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So I I also took vocal lessons uh, for credit and I was in 
two choirs my freshman year. Uh, and I'm trying to remember now, Rob. Gosh, that's, that's awful. But I, I want to say I was I was in choir through through the first semester of my sophomore year. And, and it was in the midst of all that sophomore year when I had sort of found my love for writing and, and, and really writing solo uh, projects. And that was when I stepped back from choir and, and voice lessons and a couple other things I was involved with just so I could focus more on writing and performing my own music sophomore year. And so from the time you were a student to 2010 when you had the song We Fight Back uh, becoming the theme song for Susan G. Komen, what was that process like of finding your passion for writing songs and developing them and then getting to a point where um, you can get involved with something like that? Yeah, it, so there there were the practice rooms. I, I I'm not even sure. I, I I believe they're still there, but there there are piano practice rooms as a part of the the school of music. And so I I would um, whenever I had a you know block of free time during the day, I would I would go find one of the practice rooms and just sit down and explore and start writing. I had I had begun songwriting when I was in high school, just very limited. I was in a band, and then when I got to TCU. I realized that I I really enjoyed writing and and it was hard to to find people to start a band who are going to have the same commitment level that that I wanted to have toward really giving it a go. So I just kept at it. I just kept writing and my sophomore year I put out a project that you won't find anywhere because I made sure I I took it down from every outlet. <laughs> uh, I just don't think it was the best representation of of my my music and my songwriting. But you know what I you, you got to start somewhere. And then uh, senior year, I put out a three song project that to me, that project was sort of this, let's really see if this thing can work. Um, my, my parents who have been so encouraging and, and gracious, um, they, my, my, my grandparents had actually set aside uh, like a couple thousand dollars to put towards my my college expenses. And they offered to give me that because I wanted to print a bunch of CDs and just hand them out, uh, hand out some at TCU. And then um, I actually went to pretty much every major school in Texas. And this is going to sound ridiculous, but I went to sorority meetings and would play a song because most sorority chapter rooms have a piano and hand out CDs to all the girls in the sorority. So that's what I, I did that senior year. You know, the response was good. And, and I think one of the one of the coolest things was just the the support I had at TCU um, from fellow students uh, from faculty. Uh, I think probably my favorite was one day I was a marketing major and uh, so I shared some classes with Andy Dalton and we you know had chatted maybe once or twice. But Andy shot me a message on Facebook just saying how much he enjoyed that little three song project I did senior year and uh, that meant a whole lot and and just getting folks like him who really just spread you know about where of mouth. And then, you know, I'd get more and more people showing up to my shows at the Aardvark or at Common Grounds in Waco and uh, just had slowly built up a, a little bit of a following so that by the time I graduated, I really felt like I could give music a shot. I had been interning at a digital advertising agency in Fort Worth, actually in the stockyards. And so I knew music alone wasn't going to pay the bills. And so I approached the president of that company and said, hey, this is, this is what I really want to do. But I also recognize that I, I need to 
a need to keep working. And so is there any way you would create a position for me that I could work 30 hours a week, um, but also pursue, pursue music and, you know, play shows on the weekends, you know, potentially leave early on Thursdays and Fridays for shows or whatever I need to do. And she was so gracious and created a position for me, gave me full benefit. And so that when I graduated, I was able to work 30 hours a week and start working on my first full length album. Wow, so you did not take the approach that you see a lot where people just put everything they have in a backpack in a car and just drive to Austin, Nashville, LA right away and just say, that's it, I'm done. You actually had the forethought to say, I need to work while I do this. And sounds like you really thought this out. Well, frankly, I part of me wishes I had the courage to to just do that, to, to throw <laughs> everything in, in my car and drive off in the sun, you know, into the sunset and do it. I think it's just, that's just not my character. That's not who I am. That's not how I was raised. And to be totally honest with you, the lack of a security blanket in music totally freaked me out. You know, I had taken all of these business courses. I had studied marketing and done Neely Fellows and done several internships and had prepared myself for the business world. And in doing so, I also feel like I learned along the way that that music uh, was going to be a really hard battle to actually turn it into a career. And so it was a little bit of hedging my bets, if I'm being totally honest. And so did you have a lot of conversations with some of the professors in Neely about what advice would you guys have for how I would do something like this? You know, I will say this. I wish there were a few folks in the Neely School who had any experience in the music business. Um, There weren't. I don't think that inhibited me at all. Um, But what I did have were a couple of professors who actually went to the church that I, I I was leading work part-time as well for student ministries at Christ Chapel in Fort Worth. And so Bob Aiken um, was was one of the guys who went to our church. And Aiken is, you may know him, he's a total entrepreneur. And so he was very encouraging to me uh, in pursuing music. And so what I think I had, which frankly, I think is more important than anything, is I had professors who believed in me and believed in my music and were for me. I don't, I don't necessarily think they could offer me specific advice when it came to the music industry. Um, but I think that belief in me from them and, and from the greater TCU community was absolutely huge for me. That, how did you get it to where your song was chosen for the Susan G. Coleman for the Cure? And was that kind of like the first big break that you really kind of thought, wow, this actually is possible on a big time scale? Yeah. So um, the credit to We Fight Back and, and that whole process and how integrated that was in, in Frogs for the Cure at TCU goes to Ann Loudon for sure. She she was running Frogs for the Cure and she did for several years. Ann had called me. I, this was the summer I right after I graduated and Ann gave me a call and said she was looking for a song to use for a video for the halftime show for the Frogs for the Cure game and so I, I did a little bit of brainstorming with her on what type of song might work and then I just kind of had the idea on the phone of, hey, you know, Ann, what if what if I just took a stab at writing a song for this cause? You know, I, I, I love Frogs for the Cure. I love the program that you've built here and, and how the TCU campus rallies around such a great cause. She agreed, and, and so I wrote a song with another TCU alum, Brian Keita. It just so happened that 
Anne really liked the song, and and uh, the, the folks who were part of Fox for the Cure really just rallied around it. And it was it was huge for me because to be able to to have that song played, you know, in the football stadium, and the video was viewed over a hundred thousand times, which at the time on YouTube was a whole lot of views. I think it I think it was one more piece of evidence that this is something that I'm good at, and this is something that I can pursue. In the fall of 2010, Tim began a journey that will elevate his career to the next level, appearing in the final 24 of American Idol. So my family had a family friend who was an entertainment lawyer. And uh, so he and I would touch base from time to time and he would give me pieces of wisdom um, along the way. And so he and I were catching up and he told me that they were uh, doing webcam auditions. So most people don't know this. I actually had auditioned for American Idol the summer after my freshman year at TCU uh, in Omaha. Uh, they, they had gone through Omaha to do auditions. I got cut in the stadium round and it was, it was a pretty scarring experience for me. It was just very, it was a really big letdown and it was, uh, I felt like it was a, a, a kind of a negative experience for me. And so when he told me that they you know, they were doing these webcam auditions, so I didn't have to go to the stadium uh, because I had sort of swore, sworn off American Idol after that first audition. This felt to me like doable because I wouldn't have to wait for two days in a line to get registered and then to, to audition where there's a hundred other people on the, the stadium floor auditioning at the same time. It, it was just overwhelming. I did. I, I actually was at my buddy's uh, place near campus playing NCAA football on, on PlayStation and, and you know, realized, uh, shoot, I got to go. I got to go do this audition thing real quick, if you don't mind. So we hit pause. I borrowed his laptop went into uh, a bedroom and and recorded an audition for American Idol. A couple of weeks later, I was I was playing at a festival in College Station and got the email that I'd been called back to American Idol. Once again, evidence of the TCU community supporting supporting me and Loudon graciously gave me airline miles to cover my flight out to LA and I I stayed with a good buddy of mine from TCU. Uh, slept on his floor. He had moved out there to pursue acting in LA. And uh, and then I had my my next couple rounds of auditions before the judges. What is it that maybe people don't see on TV about what what you have to go through? Right. So the judges actually aren't in the stadium at all. It's very different than than you might think. The the audition process. You have that initial audition. For me, it was a webcam thing, and for most people, it's in a stadium. And when you're in the stadium, or I suppose singing behind a webcam, the person who's who's watching you and listening to you is usually someone who works with the show, who I would say is is lower on the the corporate ladder of American Idol. They're going to be a, a low-level producer, maybe a, a production assistant of some sort. And then if, if you get through that round, then they put you through to another producer round, which that was my first LA audition. And so I was actually the very last person to go of the day of probably four or 500 people. So it felt like a social experiment because I was sitting there watching all these people return to the waiting room, either crying or celebrating with a camera on them. So in that audition, I sang to a room full of random producers. And in um, that room in particular, there was there's a, a producer named Nigel Lithgow. And uh, Nigel had been around the show for a long time. He and, and Simon Cowell had created the show together with Simon Fuller. And Nigel really liked me. And so they sent me through to the next round, which was the executive producer round. And so in that room, you're actually 
in the room that you see on TV, but instead of the judges sitting in the chairs, it's the executive producers of the show. And so the reason I believe they do that is they record you. And if you're a personality that, that they want to send through to Hollywood and you do really well for the executive producers, but get nervous and screw up for the judges, they can play back your executive producer audition and then show the judges giving you great remarks, you know, and vice versa. And so um, did that. And they liked me, and so they sent me through. And so then I waited a, another uh, day or two at that point, audition for the judges. And I was actually in the very first group to audition for the judges. And actually that day, the first three or four people in front of me all got cut. So then I was the first one that they actually sent through. The, the kicker is I got three yeses in my audition, but they edited in Randy saying no when they aired it to make it look like Jennifer Lopez had the final say on my fate for the show. <laughs> so how long is that? I mean, we, on TV, obviously, we see you play like a 30-second clip. I mean, there might be some small talk before and either a celebration and there's always drama, you know, right when they make their decision. So, you know, it looks like it might be a 5- to 10-minute thing. Is it that long? Is it shorter? And how is that? Everything is way longer than what you see on TV. Yeah. Uh, so during the process, they had interviewed me probably three or four times. The first one was very long, probably an hour, maybe hour and a half uh, interview, trying to get any sort of angle uh, or storyline to run on me for the show. You know, my my story, Rob, is is pretty generic. If if we're uh, just kind of being real here, um, you know, I grew up in, a, in the Midwest, middle class family and had just graduated from TCU with a great scholarship and a, and a great degree. I really didn't have any crazy um, story that would make the viewer cry, you know. And so the only angle really that they could find on me was that I had a crush on Jennifer Lopez when I was in second grade, you know. Fortunately for me, I, was, I had been a marketing major. And at that point, all the questions turned to, my anxieties to meet Jennifer Lopez. And so I figured it'd probably be a good idea just to run with this whole storyline uh, for TV purposes. And so then I came up with all my cheesy one-liners that I could say in the interviews and knew I had to flirt with JLo in some way, shape or form, but I was so nervous that, and I'm not very good at pickup lines anyways. If you see my audition, I ended up asking her how old she was. Um, so that was great. <laughs> But it made for good TV, I guess. They they really thought it was funny. Um, yeah, it it was um, it was it was interesting to say the least. And so then after they they say you're going to Hollywood and there's all the auditions, then we see they show like you have to sing, you have to prepare all night for like another song and then another song, and it's, I mean, just how much time first in between the different auditions is there, and then I mean, do they send you home for a while and then come back, or how does that all work? Yeah, so once you make it to Hollywood, you after I got my golden ticket, I, I flew back home. At that point, they're, they're covering all your expenses, though, which was a major relief to me. You know, I just graduated and trying to pay for my first record and, you know, working and all that kind of stuff. So I flew back home and then I flew back for Hollywood week, the first week of December. So my judge's audition was the first week in November. And so the first week of December, I, I flew out there, made it through all three rounds of Hollywood week. They really didn't show any of my performances on Hollywood Week. The, 
there was one at the end I was bummed they didn't show because it went really well. But then at that point, I made it to the Vegas round, which was the Beatles was the theme. And so then we, we actually got on a bus and went straight from Hollywood Week to Las Vegas and stayed at the Mirage and performed on the Cirque du Soleil stage there and did Beatles songs. That went well. I made it through. But at that point, it was when I made it through that round, they cut it down to 40 people. There were 40 of us left. Hollywood week started with, I believe, around 500 people. And and so then we, we all flew home and then they, they flew us back probably a month later for another round. And that round, Interscope was the record label paired with American Idol that season. So Interscope picked a song for us to perform and then we got to perform a song of our choosing. I did a, I did a song that I had written, which was Awesome, because until that point, American Idol didn't let contestants perform songs they'd written. But the, the, the great thing about that is, number one, it was a great piece of exposure that I write my own music and I'm a songwriter. But number two, I still get royalty checks for that performance because American Idol airs in, in so many countries and it, and it continues to happen and they continue to rerun the season that I was on in various places. So that was great. And then flew home and then flew back and for what's called the Green Mile, which is an episode where they cut it down to the, the live show group, the top 24. And um, so I made made it there. And at that point, if you make it to the, the live show, you're supposed to pack a big bag because you don't know how long you'll be there. And so I was out in L.A. for about a month uh, that time. And that was that was the last time I was there because then they start the live show. And then, yeah, I left when they cut to 12, the top 12 contestants. Yeah. So all in all, the experience started. I got that call back the first week in November and then I left the show in early March. And how has your music career taken off since American Idol? You know, I, I don't, I don't want to bra- brag or to my own horn, or but it's, it's been, it's been great. Like I, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, what I would say is like an A-list artist that you hear on the radio or see on TV. But I'm, you know, still making a living doing music and um, have had the opportunity to to do some incredible things and feel very, very thankful for the, the journey and the, and the path that, that my career has taken. Tim now lives in Nashville, the home of many musicians, in a place he finds similar to Fort Worth. Nashville has grown by leaps and bounds in the, the last 10, 15 years, both population-wise, but also in the music industry. Every genre is represented in Nashville now. There's, there's a lot happening here. A lot of uh, music companies and music business are, are moving their, their headquarters and their locations to Nashville. And so I write a lot of pop music, but I, but I also write a lot of other types of music for film and TV. And so I do a lot of that in Nashville. And it, Nashville has been absolutely incredible for me. I think it's the whole concept of you play to the level of your competition or to your environment. And moving to Nashville, you realize that there are a ton of really talented people in this industry and in this world. You just start challenging your craft. That's what I feel like Nashville has done for me. And I feel like it's made me a better writer, uh, a better performer. And I just love this city. It's a, it's a really great city. It's, it's creative, but it's also welcoming. It has all the, the things that I love about 
Fort Worth and Omaha, Nebraska. And that's the that's the friendliness. That's the sense of community where it doesn't feel like you're walking in the room and um, there's there's no sense of competition with my peers in the industry. It's it seems to be more of a sense of collectiveness. And so that's been really healthy for me to be here. And I know you released a new album this year, Chances. Talk about the inspiration behind that album and what is the success you've had with it so far? Yeah, so Chances was, uh, I feel like in my career, I've... I've always been a little bit scared just to flat out make a pop record. I think in the in the music industry, culturally, sometimes pop can be a dirty word or is seen as uh, lesser than uh, a lot of other genres. And I've I've always just loved pop music, and it's always been a part of my writing. And there's always been an element of pop to everything that I write. But this record, I was finally ready to just be unashamed about writing pop music. And so I worked with this really great producer who I collaborate with quite a bit in town. And uh, we started working on this this album and I realized um, just how much the, the songs that I heard growing up had gotten into my blood. When I was growing up in Omaha, we had a basement with a record player and uh, a little toy basketball hoop. And I would go down there and I would put on a record and shoot shoot baskets thinking that I was training to be in the NBA but um, really unknowingly I was I was being inspired the whole time you know listening to Off the Wall and Thriller by Michael Jackson and um, you know listen listening to it was this combination of, of pop records like that you know Hall and Oates um, Temptations and, and Stevie Wonder and you know mixed with sort of blue collar songwriters like James Taylor and Neil Diamond and um, but but I, on this record I wanted to explore the you know the, the more pop side the, the Michael Jackson Stevie Wonder that that side of things and I, I just realized how much that had gotten into my blood when we started writing these songs the record happened so quick at least the writing side of it did. We wrote, I think, four song, three or four songs on the first day of writing for the record. We had written ten or eleven in three days, I think, and then and then you know ultimately we wrote a bunch and then narrowed it down to seven. And I just am really proud of of the record. It's it's done well so far. It's gotten over a million streams so far on you know Spotify, Apple Music, and. Spotify put one of the singles on the New Music Friday playlist, which is which was a really big deal to me. Just that that's sort of an industry standard at this point of sort of on the pulse of what's happening, and uh, so it's it's done really well. It's been received well live. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm really proud of that record for sure. And how often have you gotten a chance to come back to TCU or Fort Worth? Um, I've been back to TCU every once in a while. Uh, not not as much as I would like to. I went to a football game last year. Uh, I try. I would say I try and get back about once a year. I wish it were more often. I think the one thing I really wish is that I can find some sort of opportunity to speak to business students who are interested in the music industry. I think there's a there's a there's a wealth of information, regardless of if you're a creative or not, about the music industry. That I think the market in general is heading to a place where people are looking for creative ways to diversify their portfolios and. Royalty income is something that a lot of investors are finding out about and are and are seeking answers. And so I I would love to be able to to present the some of the wealth of information that I've learned along the way of just making mistakes and learning things about the music industry. So I'm I'm hoping to reconnect with um, professors at Neely regarding that. 
And lastly, what can some of your TCU family look for for your your schedule in the near and the maybe the long term future? Yeah, I think um, so. I mentioned I'm writing a lot for TV and film, and uh, so there've been some cool things that have happened in the last you know year or two, and and so really I just I get really excited when a song is used on a show or something. You know, like actually I have a song that's on every iPhone right now with the memories function, so it's one of the songs that Apple pairs your memories with on the slideshows. And so I love celebrating those kind of things with with people, and there's some potential uh, placements coming up for some shows and stuff too, which which is exciting. But I'll also you know I I do tour. Not not quite as much as I was touring a couple of years ago, but uh, I'm looking at doing some some shows this winter, and I'll likely get get over to DFW. So I've I've always been overwhelmed with the amount of support I have in that in that area. So I would love to to see some friendly faces um, as I usually do when I head there. Thank you to KTCU's co-manager Jeff Craig and student Stephen Neer for their assistance in editing of this episode. If you or a friend or family member would like to share your story of your life since graduation, please contact us on social media or leave us a comment on our SoundCloud channel. We look forward to sharing the next story of how Horned Frogs are changing the world.